All right, well, uh, good morning again, church. My name is Dove Cohen. I'm a member here at Providence Community and have the privilege uh, to open up God's word uh, together uh, as a church this morning. So if you can open your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8, we are going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Beatitudes and looking at uh, the verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, for such a short passage of scripture, there sure is a lot to unpack this morning. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. Uh, throughout today's message, we're going to look at uh, what is the heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to see God? And ultimately, how can we cultivate a pure heart? Before we do so, though, let's pray. We can pray one more time this morning. Dear Lord, this is a holy moment because you are a holy God and your word is holy. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word so that we can know you, love you, and commune with you. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would be here. Lord, I have words, but we need your spirit to speak. So please come. Please grant us illumination. Please help us to understand, and ultimately to apply all that we have to learn today. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So first this morning, what is the heart? What is the heart? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus expresses a great concern with the heart versus externals. The heart versus externals is simply behavior or religious formalities. Consider these verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 27 to 28, you've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are many other references to the heart throughout Matthew, uh, the rest of the Gospels and New Testament as a whole, but what this all shows is that Jesus cares first and foremost about our hearts, what state they're in and what direction they are headed. So, What's the heart? What is the heart? Consider what Paul David Tripp has to say about the heart in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. The Bible uses the heart to describe the inner person. It encompasses all other terms and functions used to describe the inner person's spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, etc. These other terms do not describe something different from the heart. Rather, they are aspects of it, part or functions of the inner person. So, the heart is the inner person. It is what we think, feel, choose, and sense. As Proverbs 4.23 states, from it flow the springs of life. And consider that it is the seat of many of our troubles. Why? Because as we all know and feel, our hearts are polluted. Consider Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Remember, God is concerned with so much more than religious formalities or external behavior and light of our heart's pollution. How is it possible? How is it possible for today's verse to be true of us? Can we even be pure in heart? To understand that, let's look at what the Bible says it means to be pure in heart. So let's look at it through three lenses. First, let's consult with David. What does he say about having a pure heart? So as we've read this morning, Psalm 23, 3 through 4, David writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Based on this, from David's perspective, a pure heart is one that doesn't lift up itself to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It is a heart that lifts up itself to God, to what is true, that wants to honor him and live for him. It's a heart that does not swear deceitfully, does not defile itself with lies. A heart that is honest before the Lord and others. So where do you see yourself in this description? While we know that the sinfulness of our hearts as Christians, we also know that God has given us a new heart, a reborn heart. So if you're a Christian, you should see yourself in this description. Now, as a second lens, couple this with what James says in James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. According to James, a cleansed heart, a pure heart, is one of single-minded devotion to God. One that is not double-minded. A heart that does not profess one thing and does another. A heart that lives a life of singular devotion to the Lord. So to help us get this thought of single-minded devotion, consider the lyrics of a favorite hymn here at Providence. We sang it already today. Be Thou My Vision. Listen to these lyrics and hear them freshly. Hear them freshly as they paint a picture of a pure, single-minded heart. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great father and I thy true son. Thou me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor vain, empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Do you hear it? Do you hear the single-minded devotion to the Lord in this hymn? And do you see it in yourself? Again, you should, even if in seedling form. For again, God has given us new hearts, giving us desires that resonate with the lyrics of this song. 
So finally, for a third lens, let's consider Jesus and his description in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven of what a pure heart does. He simply says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is the most distilled expression of a pure heart. So integrity before the Lord, single-minded devotion to the Lord, and love for the Lord. Those are the descriptions of a pure heart. And as sobering, as lofty it is, to consider that that is what Jesus calls us to be, let us also be encouraged, church. We have been reborn, and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Therefore, these are descriptions of our own hearts, even if in seedling form. And because they describe us, we can be confident that the promise of Matthew 5, 8 is for us as well. We shall see God. So let's explore that. What does it mean to see God? First, we have to acknowledge that it's impossible to know exactly what that means to see God. He is so transcendent, so holy, so beyond full human comprehension that we, we just cannot know exactly what it means on this side of heaven and maybe even in heaven itself. Consider the Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith on the nature of God. There's only one true and living God who is infinite in being, power, and perfections. God is eternal, independent, and self-sufficient, having life in himself with no need for anyone or anything. He is spirit, transcendent, and invisible, with no limitations or imperfections, immutable, and everywhere present with the fullness of his being. In his transcendence, God is incomprehensible in his being and actions. He reveals himself such that we can know him truly and personally. Again, hear this. In his transcendence, God is incomprehensible in his being and actions. But before we get discouraged in trying to understand the promise of Matthew 5, 8, also hear this. God reveals himself such that we can know him truly and personally. He reveals himself to us now, and he will reveal himself to us in an even greater degree in heaven. So how does he reveal himself to us now? How can we see God now? Well, we can currently partly see him in nature. We can see God's intelligence. Consider the animals. I mean, you've been to the Casey Zoo recently. It's, it's just awesome. The diversity and volume of different creatures, just amazing. The grace of the river otters, the ferocity of the tiger, the playfulness of the penguins. Walking around is a worshipful experience. And consider God's creativity in creating colors. Consider the deep red of a strawberry, the burning orange of a sun, the bright yellow of a dandelion, the lush green of a fresh mowed lawn of grass, the expansive blue of the sky, and the vibrant violet of those little flowers on our lawns that pop up in early spring. Surely, we can see God. We can see many qualities of him in nature. But there is so much more to seeing God 
How will the promise of Matthew 5.8 be fulfilled in eternity? First, let's consider how God is a great king, and seeing him will involve being admitted into his presence. Remember the story of Esther, how frightful and trepidatious she was in entering King Xerxes' presence. That human king was regarded as majestic, powerful, sovereign over life and death. Esther was dependent upon Xerxes' approval and acceptance. Her heart trembled as she waited to see if he would hold out his golden scepter in acceptance. And if entering into King Xerxes' presence was such a serious privilege and honor that should not be taken lightly, how much more so the presence of the King of Kings, our God. But remember, as we sang this morning, we have a great hope. We will be accepted into God's presence because of Jesus. Because of him, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 is true for us. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We will see God. We will see God face to face. And because of Jesus, 1 John 3, 2 is also true for us. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see God as he is. We will be awestruck by his glory. Remember when Joshua saw the commander of the army of the Lord in Joshua 5? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua was blown away by a brief encounter with the Lord here on earth. How much more so will we be when we see him face to face as he is. And consider the songs of Revelation, of creatures in the direct presence of the Lord. They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What amazing sights do we have to look forward to when we see the Lord face to face as he is? And finally, for anyone fearful of coming into the presence of the Lord, know that if you are a Christian, when you meet him, you will also be comforted by his grace. You will be comforted by his grace. Remember Isaiah and Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. When he saw the Lord, he was awestruck and undone. But he was also comforted 
as he was cleansed and atoned for. Isaiah 6, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Yes, God is holy and glorious and majestic and beyond all human comprehension, but he is also kind and merciful and gracious. And like for Isaiah, for us as Christians, Jesus has taken away our guilt and atoned for our sin so we can dwell in his presence and see him. What a promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So ultimately, all this discussion should lead us to the question of how can we cultivate a pure heart? Brothers and sisters, we all want a pure heart. We want to see God now more and more and in eternity. So how can we cultivate it? Well, as discussed earlier, first we must acknowledge and thank God that the seeds, or maybe more than the seeds for this quality, have already been planted within us. At the same time, to cleanse our hearts more and more, we have to acknowledge that we can't do it ourselves. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I've made my heart pure, I'm clean from my sin? A pure heart, and one that is becoming increasingly pure, is surely a gift of God's grace. We are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit for this blessed state. However, the Bible also calls us to strive for purity of heart. We are called to strive for the holiness that will allow us to see the Lord. So what does it look like to strive for holiness? Well, it's a fairly simple application. Seek the Lord. There's nothing complex and nothing we don't already know. We must abide in God's word. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to to your word. Read or listen to the word daily. Meditate upon it. Discuss what it says with your spouse, your children, or friend. Inform your conscience with it. And note, discussing the word with others is an especially valuable way God uses to get the word into our hearts, which is why we, should make, we are making a significant time investment over the, couple, or the coming months to build a team of equipped counselors that any of us could sit down with and discuss our lives with and can help us apply the word to specific situations. So if you think you have a gift, 
for listening and helping others to apply the word to specific circumstances, please reach out to Chris or me or John, and we'll get you involved with our equipping class to help build on and deploy this gift. But whatever, whatever you can do to get the word into your mind, your emotions, and your will, your heart, so that you can obey it, live it out, and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to cleanse your heart through it, do that. And not only must we get the word into our hearts, but we must pray, pray, pray for God to give us an increasingly pure heart. Tell God how much you desire a pure heart. Admit your dependence upon him for it. Confess where you may be going astray from the pursuit of a pure heart. Maybe even today, you're convicted of immorality or anger or lying or resentment or whatever the Spirit may be impressing on your heart. Well, receive his forgiveness. Ask the Holy Spirit for assistance. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And finally, repent of any known sin. Seek forgiveness from others where appropriate. And most importantly, move toward the Lord. Just know that as you get the word into your heart and as you pray, you will grow in your faith. You'll be aware of and turn away from sin more and more. And the Spirit will increasingly cleanse your heart. God will do this. Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So in conclusion, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we've seen, God cares about the heart, not just the external formalities of religion or behavior. Not only that, but he's already begun to purify our hearts. He's implanted a seed of undivided devotion to himself in all who have been reborn. And he's continually cleansing our hearts even now as we seek him. And finally, because of this, we will see God. We will see God. Now, for communion, I'd like us to regroup at the place that makes this beatitude possible. The place where purity of heart was purchased and admission to God's presence obtained. The cross. Remember, God is glorious. He is holy, majestic, grand, beautiful, true and pure, beyond all blemish. And second, none of us deserve to experience purity of heart, let alone see God. We all have sinned against him. We've done things that pollute our hearts, and we just deserve his judgment and wrath. However, as we know, Jesus lived a perfect life, a righteous life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and has given us the Holy Spirit, all so we can be forgiven and display evidences of his kingdom in our hearts, so our hearts 
to be purified. Therefore, this morning, let us in faith and humility come to the table, confessing God's goodness and glory, confessing our sins, and thanking God for these amazing blessings of forgiveness, justification, cleansing, and ultimately sight of the Lord. Let us come to the table.